Hey guys, what's up? Week uh, 117, hair looking crazy like usual, so let's hop into this. I want to address, you know, last week um, we had some, I think the framing looks terrible in the hammer video last week, and it t does typically, so I, I, I'm trying to make that a little bit better. You know, I think it was just too close and we move around too much, so at points Jeremy will just be like this, like his head will be, it just doesn't look good, it's not right. I'm gonna Hopefully this week looks a little better. Also, I wanted to tell you about, um, there's a, a Kickstarter going on, uh, it's, uh, what is it, Jesse? super crazy average day or something like that the link will be below it's from brian williams uh is directing and it stars uh, ellie church in there so by the time you see this you'll have a couple days to donate get a blu-ray get some other cool perks so if you're interested i know these casts are good people so i'm sure they'll make something pretty cool i mean they also did space babes from outer space and they were involved with uh scott Shermer's movies so yeah i'm definitely i donated myself and i look forward to checking it out in october when it's released um i guess let's hop into the first movie and it is a freaking doozy man i don't think i've ever seen anything quite like this one this is Krushinov, my car and i probably mispronounced Krushinov. i still have some of the shrink wrap on there but Krushinov, my car probably not how you actually say it but hey man i am not russian and russian language is very hard for me in fact russian politics russian history a uh, very very great cloudy area this is by a director who i probably would mispronounce his name but uh, he directed the movie hard to be a god this is a arrow academy release and this is a very very crazy movie i believe made in 1998 it takes place right at the cusp of stalin's reign being over and it uh, takes place during a thing called the doctor's plot which is uh, joseph stalin basically dictating orders to take out these uh the you know the doctors the jewish doctors around um the area and, and take them out and, and it follows the story of one jewish doctor and his family it's a crazy weird strange movie like I said, the doctor's plot was actually something real. And on the uh, bonus features, they have an expert who talks about the plot and says it's a very complicated thing. It just wasn't, um, you know, anti-Semitic behavior. It was a bunch of other things involving politics, too, and Joseph Stalin being old and on his way. It's just lots of complex issues going on here. And so when you're dealing with Russian politics in a weird, strange art film of uh, somebody that doesn't shoot typically with lots of characters, it's going to be a little of a cloudy area. And this movie is that. It's it's such a weird experience. It's our around two and a half hours long the lead in this movie like i said is, the character is one of the doctors and he is a hulking bald man who's obsessed with cognac and he keeps calling it his tea and wandering around and doing his errands until he realizes that you know there is this plot out there to get him but he's kind of a, a mess at the same time going into random people and talking to random people and and and, and all sorts of things like that being arrested uh you know besides that there's also a, on, on the disc let me get this out of the way before i dive into the plot because i think i'm going to go on a lot of tangents so on the disc there also is um you know kind of an appreciation of director's work where they go over a lot of his movies and explain stuff like that and like i said that that's also interesting and helpful because this movie is a doozy so okay well, this movie is shot in a lot of wonders it's overexposed it's black and white it's shot in full frame so it is a very jarring crazy experience uh, experience you're reading a lot of subtitles all the time dozens and dozens of characters are walking in doing all these complicated things and it's all in a wonder well this character will walk the camera will move they'll grab something they'll hit somebody in the head i've never seen so much spitting in the face of people or spitting on things or grabbing things or wiping your face it's that kind of movie where everybody seems like a mad person or a crazy person and it at times it becomes comical only because what they're doing is so, so 
unique and, and and amazing it becomes these feats of filmmaking and choreographed stuff and i just was like oh my god this is just too much to take in all at once and trying to read subtitles and i just could not uh catch every little thing and that kind of reminds me of something that joe dante said on his podcast um the movies that made me great podcast he said something about um what is it um a movie that he used to love i want to say it's um a Fellini movie, eight seconds or something. Yeah, and he said that uh, he always preferred the English dub version because he could hear all the people talking in the background and end up, and they don't they don't translate all that and that in the uh, proper language. And this one, I would have liked an English dub so I could hear all the numerous voices clashing with each other all at the same time. But there's points when um, you know you wouldn't really grasp what's going on 100 percent unless you understood Russian politics. So you know they have this opening that tells you that kind of stuff, and you're kind of in it, kind of not. And happening in that time in the 50s with such a you know crazy political turmoil was happening I love the lead he's great in this movie very brave crazy performance he um, there's a really graphic thing that happens to him on a train um, it something out of a Carl Panzram you know biography or something really nasty uh, yeah so that that happened and I was really shocked by that and there's like comedy bits afterwards that are just so weird like you know when rubbing their face in the snow and spitting and what he pulls down his pants and sticks his ass in the snow to help himself. Just all sorts of things like that. Um, I enjoyed it. And at the very end of the movie, I just enjoyed how quirky and weird it was and just also twisted and overexposed. Like I said, it's super bright. And there's these weird bird symbolism going on. And at the very end, uh, my friend walked in and he's catching this and I was like, just see some of this, man. It's crazy. And he was like, at the very, he's like, man, there's a lot of wonders and stuff. It's so difficult. And he said, oh, now they're just showing off. And the, the scene, the shot that they pull off at the end is like, even if you don't like the movie or you can't get into it you're just like astounded by how complicated and crazy it is how many takes did that take so i mean if you don't get into the story or the necessarily what's going on 110 percent, you will be intrigued by the filmmaking aspects it was no easy feat it, uh, and it, it i like it, how it looks it's a very unique looking movie and tons of snow and everything and it just makes me glad i'm not in russia to be honest uh really really unique viewing experience все, все по-старому бывало, ему и было так всегда. Лошадки и мальчонки малого, не сладкие холода. Всю жизнь я думал, что эти стихи написала моя бабушка. Не там она не была, поэтому смешно. Могу я видеть военного врача Юрия Глянского?
Okay, the next one is from Ronan Flix. It's a Scorpion releasing, and it is The Mummy's Revenge with Paul Nashie. I decided to pop this movie in from 1973. Yeah, um, and I really wasn't disappointed, okay? Um, a 70s Mummy movie. I like 70s movies. I like Mummy movies. I haven't seen as many Paul Nashie as I'd like to, so I popped this in, or Spanish Horror as I'd like to. So I'm watching this. Pretty much uh, the typical um, Mummy story. Uh, Paul Nashie wrote part of this movie, and he does duel. Actually, triple roles in here. Not only does he he play the old pharaoh who is um, uh, evil pharaoh who is you know cursed to become the mummy he plays his relative in modern times and he plays of course the mummy so what we have here is this evil pharaoh he's cursed um, and, and his wife is killed and he is kind of you know you know mummified and years later one of his relatives is uh, on the look for him. These archaeologists accidentally bring him back to life, and the mummy goes on a kill-crazy rampage. Has Jack Taylor in there, who I'm not as familiar with. I've seen a bunch of his movies that he's in. He just didn't register as an actor. I know that Cat uh, Ellinger and Sam Deacon praise him all the time on the Daughters of Darkness podcast, which, um, yeah, I'll have to watch some more Jack Taylor, I guess. So, um, yeah. The mummy runs amok and kills dozens of people, which was kind of surprising. And uh, some in graphic detail. There's some weird scenes in here. Uh, the mummy's actually pretty athletic because Paul Nashi, you know, was a power lifter before, you know, being like an actor, director, and monster. So you know, he, he's pretty athletic. He's pretty fast moving for a mummy. Probably the fastest. I like his design. He's scary. He's hulking. And you know, all around, I like the ending as well. Um, decent movie. Solid. You know, Spanish. You know, horror flick. And there's a pretty graphic scene where the mummy is smashing a bunch of women's heads in and they're just showing the aftermath and it's just kind of the deal where the you know those euro whores like yeah it's just a bunch of guts and an eyeball thrown in there real stuff you know real animal entrails and whatnot it's really it's gross but yeah um the leads aren't great but they're fine and uh it has a lot of the classic tropes that a mummy would have you know the reincarnation factor or finding your love and this one this is probably the most evil mummy i have ever seen though usually the mummy's doing a lot of these things out of love and this mummy somewhat is but he's also pure evil and he worships evil gods. Uh, the print actually looked all right. It didn't look perfect. You know, it could tell it was an old movie and this is a composite. They had a couple scenes in there. Not as much nudity as I actually expected. And there was, uh, you know, Troy Howarth does the commentary and he talks about there possibly was at one point an uh, unclothed version where some of the women who are killed are nude, but no one's ever discovered it. No one's ever talked about it as then actually seen it. So that might just be a hoax. But a lot of those, you know, Italian and Spanish horror movies did that. They did two versions in French and Euro horror stuff like that. So that's my possibility. I would say check this one out. Um, it has its moments. It's not too boring, uh, you know, because there's a lot of slow moving mummy movies. And I don't want to say slow always equals boring i was entertained throughout this one good mummy good kills good ending entertaining
I know something bitter is bothering you. You can tell me what it is, my dear. Helen, I know how to understand you. My father is a paralytic and I'm responsible. I told father not to go. The weather was awful that night. But he insisted that he accompany me. When we returned afterwards, the horses went wild and father was dragged beneath them. Helen, you're not to blame. Believe that. Everything was written. Finally, I shall have my eternal liberty. Soon, my beloved Amarna will be by my side once more. A pharaoh of the 18th dynasty. The Foundation never dreamed of such a valuable piece. It's a discovery of world importance. And we're the ones responsible for it. I'm sure that the papyrus scroll you found will give us the answer to this mystery. We'll study it in London. It will be fascinating work. And Dr. Douglas will collaborate with us. Okay, the next one we have here is another Nashi movie from Code Red, and this is The People Who Own the Dark, a 1976 six flick. Oh, got a tongue twister there. Um, this one I heard about for years. I think every podcast in the world had talked about it. Right when it was uh, released, I had to buy it because it's Spanish whore uh, Leon Kleminski or whatever. He did a bunch of, he did a couple Nashi ones as well. Nashi's in it, um, and it also has, oh geez, Mendoza, the guy who plays Rasputin-like character in Horror Express, and it has the heavyset guy from uh, Pistol for Ringo and Coming At You, the spaghetti western, so he's in this as well. I love this setup. I love the delivery. This one's a really cool siege movie, a post-apocalyptic movie. Okay, and it, it's a doozy, man. Like it, it, it takes uh, two plots and two enough, uh, two plots of a movie basically to make. Two, it has enough plot for two movies. We have these uh, group of people, these kind of high aristocratic kind of people. They're going to this weird sex party, and uh, there's like a, oh, they worship uh, Marquise de Sade, or de Sade or whatever. So you're like, okay, there's that going on. They all are wearing these weird masks, and there's doctors and you know ca- kind of politicians. And right away, Paul Nashi in here is just a sociopath. They they open his character. Up as like shooting pigeons like for target practice just for the fun of it he never like shows much emotion except anger and stuff like that and maybe worrying for his own self-interest um but so these characters are all there on this grand dinner in this big mansion isolated in this small like spanish town and something tragic happens everything rumbles and they realize that a nuclear warhead was dropped and one of the guys has insider information so he lets them know that we have to get into the village and get as much food and supplies as we possibly can before the radiation cloud comes in. So it becomes absolutely terrifying. They go in the town and everybody is blind because a nuclear blast had blinded them. And there was this crazy blind uh, beggar. And now he is the leader. You know that old saying, the man with one eye in the line of the blinds king or whatever, yada, yada, yada. So he was already blind. So he's adjusted to it. So he starts to lead these other blind people. And they're probably starting to develop radiation poisoning. So they steal some food. They have a, a unfortunate 
running and a couple of the people are way more brutal than they have to be to these poor villagers and that sets up you know this turmoil between them they go back to their uh isolated little villa or whatever and of course that blind people aren't going to stand for that they want their food they're upset at what happened and it becomes a crazy siege movie and it becomes one of the most mean-spirited things i've seen in a while and not to mention there's a lot of weird perversities because the beginning and stuff the heavyset guy who's the professor loses his mind at one point and he breaks so he's crawling on the ground buck-ass naked with a pig mask on and I was like oh wow that is crazy and I didn't expect to see that much of that guy in this movie uh there's like stuff like that going on of course like right off the bat they set up one of the characters to be a complete prick you know Paul Nashy great in this movie very understated performance doesn't overact and and the stuff he says is like he's dead when he comes back somebody dies he's dead he's dead Forget him. Stuff like that. Just no conscience. Um, I felt bad for a lot of the people in this movie. This is one of the most mean-spirited uh, movies I've seen in a very long time. Uh, you know, like this with a who could kill a child. They just don't pull punches and stuff. It kind of had some similarities to stuff like The Crazies or Rabbit as well. A little bit after those movies. I love those movies as well. Um, so maybe one was, um, yeah, I think, uh, the craziest was early 70s, 74, maybe I'm not sure, but rabbit might've been around the same time. It's kind of hard, the timeline here, this is 76, but rabbit might've been 78 actually. So this was probably before rabbit. So yeah, this one, uh, actually is very entertaining, very mean spirited. I like that kind of stuff. I think the acting's really good. I think it's shot well. I love the setup and, uh, <laughs> the blind guy, the main bad blind guy, he's really cheesy. It looks like he's got like that fake hobo beard stuff on. That's the only real complaint I had on the movie. And, uh, Jeremy was watching it. He said, how can these blind people find this house out in the middle of nowhere? And I was like, they're not that helpless. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're, they're crazy right now because the radiation, they're upset. And the one guy can lead them. I was arguing with Jeremy about it. I didn't think it was that far-fetched for, especially for a, a 1970s Spanish horror film. Uh, really good stuff. Really recommended. No special features on it. The print is a little beat up, but it is the most complete print, I think, around. I think the DVD was a different print. A little cut, maybe. A little different runtime. But this one, I would recommend checking it out. Good stuff. Uh, enjoyable. Very soon, there will be nothing between you and the people who own the dark. The people who own the dark. Inside a secluded executive retreat, the world's most respected men prepare for a weekend that promises every earthly treasure. If during, before, or after dinner, one of the guests should feel the desire to commit lustful acts with any of the young women, the latter shall submit to it. But the satisfaction of this desire shall be performed in the presence of all the other guests. While outside, in their own world of darkness, they gather. Drawn by the scent of the living, they prepare for a night of unearthly horror.
Okay, the next one's going to be a quickie. I rented it on Vudu. I really couldn't help it. I rented Critters Attack. Yeah, I was like, I'm kind of curious. The TV show, the little Critters, uh, you know, thing on Shudder. I watched a couple episodes. I was like, this is, you know, I'm not going to finish this. Not like it was the worst thing I've ever seen, but it just wasn't living up to the Critters name, I guess. Even though I remember hating Critters 4 as a kid, and I haven't seen it since. But Critters Attack, you know... This reminds me kind of how they did. It's not a direct sequel to the first one. It doesn't really. I can't really notice any sequelizations to this to the other critters. But you know those reboots. They just had the Leprechaun Returns, which I thought was fun and fair. And I really think that same thing about Critters Attack is fun and fair. The script's not perfect. Okay, let's be honest. The critters are cheaper than probably they were in the first one, but they're decent. They do some different looks on them, even though sometimes they get killed and then they come back and it's like, hey, that's the same critter. I think that kind of stuff doesn't bother me too much. But they kind of you know make the critters a little different. The plot of this. One, basically the critters crash land in a in a small town it has like it's a small college town and the lead character in here is delivering you know sushi she's a sushi delivery girl she has aspirations to go to college because her mother went to that college and her mother died tragically so we have that storyline here they're trying to make you feel feel for this character she has a little brother of course and an uncle who takes care of her i like the idea that right away they introduce the uncle he's a cop and you think he's going to be a prick but he actually ends up being a genuinely nice uncle this movie also you know has like a mixed you know family kind of dynamic i know it's not her father or anything like that but you know we have this like white kind of southern uncle taking care of these um african-american kids and i was like oh that that's kind of like you know strange to put that in there and progressive i guess in a film which is cool i like that the idea that the um so-called redneck sheriff cop got along with this kid the kids you know and, he, and there's so much of that when you're like okay here we go the southern cop who's an asshole who's a who's a racist piece of crap it was nice to see him not be that because i'm tired of seeing that i know maybe it's true in some places but i'm I'm just tired of seeing it in every freaking movie, okay? So, um, of course, we have the critters, and we have the college dynamic. The critters get into the college, and they start picking off some of the people she knows. Um, this movie's major problem really is the fact that in the beginning, they keep introducing characters for 30 seconds, and then you know, like sometimes they would come back to them in a lot of movies and kill them later. They kill them right away, like right away. It's like, maybe you should just like let that breathe on the stew a little bit and come back and kill that person. And almost it's so obvious. It's like a Star Trek episode where it's a character you don't know who they are. They're just barely there. And it's like, hey, I'm just, and you know, they're dead immediately. It doesn't, um, you know, it makes it so uh, obvious, telegraphs it so obviously these characters are dead. Um, there is some blood in there. There's some gore. I noticed mostly practical effects, which I can't appreciate. I mean, this movie's not going to win any Academy Awards. And we know that. It's Critters 5, but it's way better than I expected, you know. It could play back in, you know, maybe it will play on the Sci-Fi channel, and I'd be completely fine with that. I thought there's some cheapness here. The Critters don't use their, you know, poisonous quills as much as they should, but they do occasionally do it. We do get to see the Critters ball, which I was very happy about. Dee Wallace is in here, kind of as a little wasted role. She plays a bounty hunter. I don't think she has much relation to the original character. Maybe if they make a sequel, they'll dive into that. But uh, she's pretty crazy in this movie, even though her role is pretty small, but she's kind of nuts in here decent special effects like i said a decent watch uh you know it is kind of cookie cutter in some places like that where it's like oh the tragic the one that made make the girl lead strong because her mother died i liked her i though i did enjoy the character and you know there's some there's some fun to be had. It's not a perfect movie, but you should know what you're getting into for Critters Attacks. I didn't hate it. I don't love it. You know, right down the middle, probably maybe a little above what I expected it to be. So uh, check it out if you get a chance to. In 1986, they invaded our world. Drea, did you see that? I think it was an alien spaceship. Don't be weird, Philip. Now they're back. Hello? 
and hungry for more. They're furry. Oh, he's so cute. Ferocious. What the hell is that? And they love. What's that sound? Fast food. Aliens are real. Hey, Drea, how's babysitting? It's going great. This time, you're telling me this one's good? Everyone is on the menu. We're all gonna die tonight, aren't we? Who the hell is that? I don't know, but that's a really big gun. Critters attack. Okay, this next one kind of opened up a whole rabbit hole for the rest of this episode, and it is Metal Noir. This is a, a lost SOV movie. This is made in 1990, directed by Dave Williams, who would go on to do like Fright World, which I haven't seen. But yeah, this has uh, acting appearances by Charles Pinion, who did some more shot on video movies, and Hugh Gallagher, who did the Gore trilogy, Gorgasm, Gorotica, and Gore Horror. So yeah, there's that. This is made in 1990. I it's I was lost, so I never freaking heard of the movie and it was finally been completed by this SOV horror company that's just rising out of there. They shot uh, or got a bunch of footage. We're making a documentary about SOV uh, way earlier. Um, I remember actually being interviewed for it or sending in an interview. All that information for the website and all this stuff on this one and the store for this will be below so check it out. But uh, Tony uh, Mazzanello, I, I mispronounce names very poor. I always do that guys so sorry. But he um, basically made this happened. So he, he went and saw this and seeked it out and got it released. So that's really cool. Uh, Metal Noir. Okay, here we go. Like I said, um, this is a weird one. Definitely inspired by Hellraiser and uh, it, it has a lot of tropes, has a lot of cheapness. It is an SOV movie, so some of the framing's not great. The lighting's not great. The sound's not great. And on top of that, this was patched together by two different uh, sources or maybe even more, so it's hard to tell where the quality is dipped because of the you know the sources or the actual filmmaking. It is shot on video, so you know you guys aren't familiar with shot on video movies. You've probably seen a couple and not realized that they look like they're shot on a home video video camcorder. They were made in the 80s and 90s for video stores to, you know, populate the shelves back there. It was a level playing field and they needed a product on the shelf. So a lot of horror movies were shot on video. So think Tempe, think earlier, think Sledgehammer, think Blood Cult. Lots of shot on video movie classics, um, redneck zombies for people out there. So yeah, this is one of these and it's a lost one. I'm sure there's dozens of lost ones. So it's kind of exciting every time you see a lost movie and I'm seeing this a lot more often. So Metal Noir, like I said, definitely inspired by Hellraiser. We have this writer who moves into this kind of isolated house so she can write and something tragic and weird happened. There was some definitely some satanic kind of weird things going on in the basement with Charles Pinion and his wife where they were discovering these dark things and having sex covered in blood and boobs all bloody and having sex and being crazy and weird stuff in the cellar with these weird artifacts like a spiked kind of weird round thing. So um, the opening of this movie had me laughing unintentionally. I, I don't want to be hard on everything because I understand low budget movies, but um, we have the um, lady who's selling the house or renting the house talking to the lead character. And you can tell about halfway through the, the, um, 
the lady selling the house feels like she's reading off a piece of paper because it cuts to B-roll, cuts around images of the house that are kind of freaky uh, exterior shots and does that whole thing, and it just seems like she's reading off a paper. So safe to say that the acting in this is not particularly good. I do think that the people who play the baddies, um, Charles Pinion and his uh, then-girlfriend, are actually pretty good. I can't remember her name, Judy something, or was it her just her, his friend or something. Those two are actually the strongest. The, the baddies are the strongest in there. Um, the lead actress has a boyfriend in here, and the dialogue between them is really painful. I can't tell if it's the characters, the dialogue, or just the acting, or a mixture of all of it. It's not very strong, to be honest. It's really bad where they're like, you should get out and stuff. They're just not actors, and you know, it just they're, it's very amateurous acting, and it can come across, you know, funny to some people. They do actually squeeze in some sex scenes and some blood and stuff like that. The special effects here and there are decent. There is some gore and uh, some nudity, which is what probably what the people wanted when they watched these SOV movies, and it does have a little bit of that transgressive nature, which a lot of these ones that uh, became no holes barred and do what the hell ever they want kind of did. So it has some things going for it. The idea that it's lost will excite some people. And the ending has some crazy things, people ripping out hearts. The special effects are pretty good for a shot on video movie. I was kind of happy with that. Um, like I said, some of the framing is not particularly great. And the lighting, and that could just be from the source changes as well. Um, the acting is laughable, though. Like I said, besides the two I made, I named. But it, it ends up kind of being this Hellraiser thing where there's these people that worship this kind of black god and they are into pain and everything like that. Um, I think if you like SOV movies, you might find some interest in this one. On the disc, they do include the uh, SOV segments of uh, Hugh Gallagher that were on the Sub Rosa disc where he talks about his movies, the Gore trilogy. Um, there's a commentary with Charles Pinion and the Horboobs guys, which is fun. And Charles Pinion, you could hear, uh, or the Horboobs guys, somebody's uh, slamming some whiskeys back uh, and then also there is a commentary with the director and he seems to know that this movie's not perfect or anything like that he understands you know and he's just happy it got a release and, and get some eyes on it so if you're interested in this release or any of this stuff and the information they have some more movies coming out as well uh, check it out below uh, there'll be links as always at Screaming Toilet and in the YouTube description box so yeah <laughs>
praise the dark trilogy. Such pain, such exquisite agonies. Okay, like I said, after I watched uh, Metal Noir, I was like, man, you know what? I think I'm going to go down that SOV rabbit hole. I used to watch these a lot when I was, you know, 13, 14 years old. So I decided to watch, for the first time, Garotica. I don't know why I have an SOV movie on Blu-ray, but I did it. This is Hugh Gallagher's second in the trilogy. I reviewed Gorgasm, his first one, uh, a while back. So there'll probably be a link for that one below if you want to check out my review of Gorgasm, which is kind of a crazy movie. Not to be confused with the Terror Optics movie Gorgasm, which came out way later in the early 2000s. Uh, his Gorgasm was made in, like, 92 or something 90s early 90s so this one uh, Gorotica was made in 93 and uh, like I said it's the second part of his gore trilogy and uh, this is probably his strongest of the three to be honest the plot of this movie is awesome it's crazy I'll say this again, it's SOV, so you have some sound problems. Not all the acting is great in this one, but the acting is uh, way better in this one than it was in Metal Noir. I think some of the acting is actually pretty good. Um, we have these two criminals who steal a diamond, and on their way to escape, to hide the diamond, one of them swallows it. They have a shootout with the cops. He ends up dead. So uh, he gets he, t he drives through the uh, his remaining uh, survivor partner in crime or whatever drives his dead body to a cemetery and he passes out i don't know what he's going to do in the cemetery but we have a necrophiliac woman who uh you know she sees them notices he's dead says i'll help you out she takes them in she screws the dead body a couple times but then she plans on selling it unknowingly that there's a diamond inside which the criminal wants and also the cops are after him because he is a cop killer now so there's all this going on meanwhile he's trying to make a deal with to sell the diamond off, but she ends up selling the diamond, the body to somebody else who needs it for sexual reasons. Um, this movie is crazy. Um, the idea that it feels there's not many horror movies that involve necrophiliacs. Of course, um, Hugh Gallagher mentions in the commentary Necromaniac, which he wasn't a big fan of, and Love Me Deadly, which I have, but I haven't watched 70s one. And of course, there's her name was Torment by Dustin Mills, my friend. So there's not that many necrophiliac horror movies that have the one of the central characters being a necrophiliac, which is kind of crazy to me. It it's just a crazy subplot, to be honest. And it's one of those things that you're like, oh, this is really, really transgressive and stuff like that. And uh, the one parts in this movie, like, he's, you know, Hugh Gallagher in the commentary is like, it, it's not really PC, let's be honest, you know. And I'm just kind of a weird guy. And I got the funding because people saw the first one. And I drove all the way there. And all these people were already cast and everything like that. And he was just kind of surprised people wanted to do this one. I The plot of this one's great. And the character, I can't think of her name, uh, the necromaniac, the necrophiliac lady. I keep saying necromaniac. Necrophiliac lady is great in this. She's, she's just awesome. But there's also a really, really cool character in here that I couldn't believe they put in here. He's a homosexual 
homosexual who wants to have sex with the bodies because he has AIDS and he can no longer have sex with people. Um, so yes, there's that going on too. And you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe you went there. The body count's pretty high. The special effects are solid. Um, there's nudity of a, just a guy, the, the guy's naked the whole time, the body. And I'm just like, man, that's some dedication there. And I got to shout, I give a shout out to SOV movies back in the day. Like, you know, People like, um, you know, I could say the early 90s or early, uh, late 90s, the 2000s, early, a lot of the SOV stuff made by like Eric Stanzi, um, not all his stuff was SOV, but you know, Eric Stanzi and Fred Vogel and Charles Pinion and Hugh Gallagher and even some of the Tempe stuff was really transgressive and they, they were very transgressive or very ambitious. And I really appreciated that kind of stuff or even Scooter McCrane with something like Shattered Dead. This stuff was the stuff that got you thinking like, we don't have the money, we don't have the effects uh, on the stuff. We don't even have fucking film for Christ's sakes, but we do have ideas and we do have ambition and we're going to show you that on the screen. And I miss that spirit in the indie world. I'm not saying that not a, a lot of people do it, but it's funny that they got better cameras, they got better access to things, better actors, even again, and then they still go back and they just rehash old horror movies and do it more poorly. You have these things. Why be held to a certain set of standards? Be transgressive with it. And that's what I miss. Not everything, I guess, needs to be transgressive. I'm guilty of probably making movies myself that weren't transgressive, maybe, maybe ambitious. I don't know. You guys be the judge of that. But I miss that, that like kind of gritty, dark thing that isn't forced. It's just weird, kind of unique on, you know, filmmakers that have these ideas that put them out there. I, I, there's still some like Maggot still makes his movies, Michael Schneider and his are, his are transgressive. I would say it just defeats the, you know, the idea that the main characters in this movie are a criminal, a homosexual with HIV who's screwing bodies and a necrophiliac. It's just like, that is insane. I like the ending. The whole ending, you know, is just a big Fuck you. You know, I mean, the character ends up going out on his own how he wants to. I thought it was very enjoyable for SOV movie. I thought that the story was better than the movie itself, and I think it drove it a long way. I would like to see him remake this, you know, with a bigger... It doesn't need a huge budget, but I would like to see how he would handle a movie nowadays. Um, like I said, the uh, he talks a little bit about Garotica in this. He has the feature, how it got made and whatnot, and there's a commentary. Um... I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was unique, and I'm glad I finally got to watch it because, you know, I watched a lot of these SUV movies years ago, and I always had a soft spot for a lot of them. And I always preferred more so, not like, you know, like the 555 or the Sledgehammer stuff. I always preferred more of the um, uh, Eric Sanzi kind of Tempe stuff that was really transgressive or ambitious just because it was just so crazy, and you're not going to see that anywhere else. And, and it's strange, with SOV dying, you don't really see that as much. In, in, in the indie movies now. Some indie movies are like that, but sometimes it's completely lost. I mean, I don't see it as much as I used to. So, uh, Garotica, good stuff. Why did I ever let you talk me into this? I'll take care of your friend. I think I'm in love. They fuck you when you're dead. And they fuck you when you're alive. Bye! Okay, the next one is also a crazy uh, movie by Hugh Gallagher. It's the third one in the trilogy, Gore Whore, made in 94. It's his follow-up, and I think it's his last movie he directed. This one is really weird, too. Um, okay, uh, yeah. 
This movie I have some history with only when I was a kid, right when I got the internet, when I was like 13, 12, I found a list of zombie movies and it was like 400 titles or something like that. Cause I love zombie movies as a kid. I was like George Romero, Return of the Living Dead, Zombie, uh, Dead Alive, you know, the typical stuff you can find in video stores. So I got this big list of movies and it had stuff like Zombie Cop, Zombie Army, Dead is Dead, Gore Horror, Shattered Dead on there. And I never could find Gore Horror at any video stores I went to. I was 13, 14 years old. I was like, I want Gore Horror. I don't know if I'd have the balls to rent that in front of my mom when I was that age or try to rent it but you know stuff like that I'd always ask for the weird titles and Gore Horror was on there so I always had wanted to see this movie since I was 13 so I finally watched it just uh, a couple days ago and this one is crazy it's um yeah but it's not as crazy as Gorotica I don't think I think it, it fits in the middle Gorgas is my least favorite this is my second favorite we have uh, this plot again it's just nuts we have this uh, ex-private eye and who was the uh, homosexual guy with AIDS plays this um, ex-cop he's now a private eye he's kind of a loser he's kind of a drunk a completely different performance he's actually a pretty good actor I, I was kind of surprised that we could you know completely be different from that actor because I, I would assume that he was more like the character in the other movie and then he comes in and I'm like completely different good 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 job man so what happens is we have this uh, ex-cop kind of loser private eye he's hired to follow this girl and get this serum from her from this weird scientist hires him and he realizes something is not right when he checks uh, with some of his police friends that this girl is listed as dead and in fact she is dead she was sent she was a she od'd on drugs and she was sent to a medical experiment thing where he performed this experiment on her so she's like this gore whore she was a prostitute so she's going she's a gore whore she's going around with a dildo and the serum on there a giant dildo and she's injecting it and people bring in the live as her minions and stuff and injecting it herself but she needs blood herself which kind of leads to her you know ripping off people's penises licking women's boobs that she has uh, lesbian relationships with um weird stuff of course right so um the detective's on to her he needs a serum and of course chaos ensues he fights some of the zombies that she creates it's fun it's gross, and there's some comedy in here for sure. Some of the weird things that happen are a little quirky and comedic for sure. Um, like I said, not as strong. The lead is crazy, um, and uh, through the commentary and special features, uh, you could hear that she was crazy. He said, I was scared to give her the knife because I was afraid she was actually going to stab someone, and she has this weird um, you know, kind of um, physical deformity in her chest where it's indented, so her, her breasts are kind of concaved in, and he said that there's a unique story. She took her shirt off, and he's like, oh, I guess it's going to have to be like that. It works for the movie, I guess. So it adds a layer of of strangeness to her. I, I should have mentioned that in uh, Gorotica, there's, you know, full nudity and stuff like that. A lot of sexual things going on. And this one is the same. There um, a lot of nudity in here, a lot of fake penises on like, um, you know, more real ones in Gorotica. But, um, you know, she's fully nude a lot of the movie. And he said one commentary, he's like, oh, this is almost softcore in there. And it is in some spots. Uh, there's some nice gags in here that actually work. I think the gore is solid. I think the blood is solid, everything like that. So I think this one's worth checking out as well. And, uh, you know, I like the ending, uh, you know, just kind of just desserts as well. Um, I would say the idea is just ambitious and different. And I don't think you've ever seen a zombie movie like that. And I really should just go and make this like list or maybe make a video about on, uh, you know, unconventional zombie movies and have Shatter Dead, Last Rites of the Dead in here, you know, uh, Gore Horror, because there's so many unique zombie movies, but people just keep making the same carbon cookie cutter bullshit. So um, I miss the days of crazy zombie movies like this and crazy movies like this in general. But yeah, that is Gore Horror.
Okay, the next one is by Charles Pinion. I had these movies for a while, and I never watched them. I actually tried to watch his first movie, Twisted Issues, years ago, like five, six years ago, and I just couldn't get into it for some reason. Maybe I was just being a baby. But this one right here is Red Spirit Lake. Um, yeah, this is his second film. Uh, yeah, and of course he's in it as well. Uh, this is pretty freaking ambitious, and this reminds me of stuff like by Eric Stanzi that he would do later, like Deadwood Park. So it, it, it's ambitious as hell. Um, and it also has Richard Kern in it, which makes a lot of sense because Richard Kern made these really uh, transgressive shorts himself, which involve a lot of sexuality and, you know, bondage and things like that. So we have that going for it, yeah. And uh, right in the beginning of this movie, we have this woman being tortured. Not the particularly greatest actor, but she's being tortured. And Richard Kern's in there, and he's slapping her breast when she's she's being told she has to sell her, you know, Red Spirit Lake, which is this cabin that her whole family has passed on to generations. And there's some sort of power, some sort of you know power struggle happening out here. Maybe it's an, uh, a way to the aliens or heaven or hell. It's kind of really murky and strange and just crazy. But these bad guys want it because they want to. They want the power, of course. So they kill her. And her niece comes in and moves into the house. And, of course, the bad guys start putting pressure on her. But also she starts to kind of hallucinate and see these strange things. And she also meets these two kind of backwoods guys, one played by Charles Pinion, and two two backwoods guys' brothers. And they kind of shed some light on what's going on. She starts to have these strange hallucinations. And weird things start to happen. Her friends come over, and it turns into a crazy, crazy deal. But there's a lot of weird, you know, sexual, like, rape and bondage and a couple bondage moments in here as well. Um, definitely transgressive, you know, not worried about showing female nudity and male nudity. Occasionally some comedy in here when one of the characters goes into the, uh, uh sauna, um, and, you know, kind of sweats out a lot of things. His, his kind of performance seems almost comical and some of them are over the top in characters. Um, but it, it's just all around a crazy weird movie. The special effects I enjoyed, I thought it was much more, it was actually shot better than the Hugh Gallagher movies and the sound was better. I could hear on the sound a lot better. The bad guys are, are nasty and mean spirited and crazy and the gore is there, and when people get killed, it's like, oh, wow, it goes by quick, I think. I like the hallucinations. I like the idea that it's a little bit murky for me exactly, but I can tell that there is something there. There is some mythology within it, and it's not just bullcrap. I like that you can tell the director knows what's going on, but um, I enjoyed it, and I, I, thought, I was kind of surprised I hadn't seen this one before, and I think it's pretty, um, you know, totally, um, you know, underseen. I, I know it probably has its fans, but I think this one's really unique and really crazy, and uh, I definitely am going to be checking out his other movies down the, down the line. Uh, and I don't know, this might have been, this and Garotica, I think, were around the same par, probably equal. I enjoyed both of them quite a bit, and I thought that their stories were unique and different. Um, and, and the actors in Red Spirit Lake are not afraid to bear it all, although some of them, the acting range is definitely uh, in here for sure, but there is a decent amount of blood and nudity and highly sexual stuff, and just like cruelty and like you know the way they push boundaries in here was kind of like i said refreshing that's how these independent movies should be honestly or uh just don't bother remaking your favorite slasher movie i, I shouldn't say this it sounds like i'm bad mouthing you but if you're not gonna bring anything new to the table and make a bad version of something we've already seen a thousand times and don't bother unless you can make it better or do something different okay but uh red spirit like um really dug it and uh you know i'm talking about a little less than i should i'm talking about rants again but on here was a weird kind of uh like the short of these uh these people driving and this giant jesus this naked jesus is trying to step on really weird stuff here uh, but i would recommend checking it out it's a little trippy too a lot of hallucinations great location too it's in this isolated house and there's a lot of snow again i love snow and the isolation and things like that it's really cool 
and uh, it has one of the craziest voyeurism scenes I've ever seen with somebody masturbating and uh, watching somebody work out. The way that shot was just perfect, to be honest. Um, and her delivery afterwards was really strange about getting porno. But yeah, weird, crazy movie and kind of a weird release, too, to be honest, don't you think? Hey guys, what's up? It is uh, week 13 of Hammer Time. There we go. And uh, this one is called Paranoiniac. It's like a tongue twister word for me to say. Um, again, this is a contemporary movie, so therefore it's in black and white. Right? This stars Oliver Reed. This is Oliver Reed's last Hammer film, but this is Freddie Francis's first Hammer film. He goes on to do a couple more. Um, and then he kind of switches, jump ship, and goes to Amicus and directs a bunch of Amicus movies. So, you know, Freddie Francis is a pretty iconic name in British horror, and I've seen a bunch of his movies. So this is his earliest Hammer one. He had a couple films before this one. So, yeah, I guess he got uh, hooked up with Hammer. So this one here, this is a very gothic story about, you know, family secrets and a, a murder mystery, people going crazy, are they nuts or not, that kind of deal. Right. Um, do you Family wanna... members returning. Yes, so what we have here is a sister who's super, the opening of the movie, uh, you notice they're having a memoriam for two dead parents and a brother who committed suicide after the parents died. So we have this whole setup with this family having like a dark past and the kids are now adults and there's some money that they're going to come into after their aunt passes or something like that. After right. their aunt, after the inheritance comes in. Right. Yeah. I think it's like 10 years they have to wait or yeah. something, something, some plot elements to where like the kids can't directly inherit the money. Um so Oliver, should we start with Oliver? Yeah, Reed? Oliver Reed is the oldest, I believe. I think, and yeah. he is a drunkard. He's explo He's the typical spoiled kid exploiting his, you know, soon-to-be fortune that's not even his. He's going over budget. He's spending way too much money on his brandy, uh, weekly brandy. Right. Uh, it's a ridiculous amount too, uh, weekly brandy amount, and he's just kind of a, you know, a miserable prick, but. As the movie progresses, he becomes less of a miserable prick, and you see that there's obviously some psychological damage. And there's a strange relationship between him and the aunt. Like, it's right. almost like a, a bickering couple. 
And then yeah. there is the uh, younger sister who also seems to have some psychological problems, claiming that she hurt her younger brother and things like that. Right, and, and it starts off, um, you know, like pretty like within like the opening. I don't know, like she sees her brother, the brother that's supposedly been dead for ten years, at the memorial yeah, for yeah. The out of the corner of her eye, and he's aged perfectly, just like him. Yeah, it looks just like him. Um, that she would think. Yeah, and so. Essentially, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to inherit, or Albert Reed's going to inherit the money yeah. in, like, what, a month, I think it says Something in the movie? Like that. And all of a sudden, the other brother, brother of it, who was supposedly dead, shows up. So you think that there's obviously something going on. Something going some, on. Some trickery. And you know what? This movie had a couple possible ways to go, but after it hit mm-hmm. a certain amount, I was like, I think I know where this is going. And I called some of that yeah. big time because yeah. of the way that people act. I don't think it's going to be that big of a... Um, you know, uh, surprise to anybody, but it could go a couple different directions, and they set up a lot of them. Mm-hmm. It has, like, the classic tropes of, hey, somebody cut my brakes on my car trying to murder right. me. This is definitely more of a thriller, but there is a couple really creepy shots in here um, of them spying on them and having some discoveries about the family, and you really don't know if the brother's alive or the person who said they're the brother is the brother for a while, and, you know, there's more, like, turns and things and side characters become involved and they set some things up and you didn't expect them to be involved which is really nice there's um the executor his son they're involved and stuff like that so that's nice to see yeah um like the movie is i mean it's okay it's clearly everybody in the family that's actually like blood related has, has some, some psychological, psychological problems big time right. and they seem to have uh some relationships there like I'm going to spoil a little bit here, but it, it seems to suggest that there's a possibility that the aunt had a relationship with her brother and therefore carries on a relationship uh, elongated into her nephew and Oliver right. Reed. That's what I would think, that there's almost an incestuous thing going on there. And he has this weird control over her, which I really kind of thought was really dark and nasty for the movie. I was kind of mm-hmm. surprised with that. And then to push it further, we have this uh, the young woman in here. The sister is kind of obsessed with her deceased brother right. and has a thing for him. And it just becomes this weird, incestuous, murder, gothic thing. Yeah, they like, you know, they like hold hands a lot. They go on picnics. Yes. Um, and, and it all gets explained later on. Like, But like there is like... Some like, sexual stuff going on and, and weird def- things. Definitely tension. And then there is a scene where she's like... Oh, I'm crazy. I'm yeah. They all, but it's one of these things where it's like, who's actually has right. the problems? Who's actually the crazy one? Oliver Reed has some has some freak out moments in here, yes. which are great, especially over some brandy. But yep. uh, he drives like an asshole, like he does in Are These the Damned or mm-hmm. uh, the Damned. He his he goes. He has some real aggressive language in here. Like he like snaps and just screams, and right. that's what he would be known for uh, throughout his career is kind of being like that like intensity that any second he could just lose it and he does that pretty well in here i was a good performance by him and, and and by the sister everybody actually and yeah. the aunt was great too i like the aunt the aunt was really kind of scary and there's a scene in here where they show some i i say it's pretty iconic when somebody's wearing this mask and it's supposed to be the brother and you're like yeah. oh wow this is really creepy and it reminds me of the like the whole movie has like that also that um I want to say like an old bitty kind of like uh, old hag exploitation is what they would call it. I guess they'd say like the um, 
uh, Joan Crawford and Betty Davis movies. It has a little bit of that as well. Um, I really like this one. I was kind of surprised by it. I thought that uh, it was well-directed, well-acted. I thought it unfolded nicely. I thought it was one of the stronger ones. And the funny thing is, it's less Hammer horror than Hammer. It's more it of a thriller-type deal. Uh, I think Freddie Francis is a good director. I think that helps. I think that Oliver Reed acted really well. I think all the side characters and the, the whole family was really well-acted. When when you had uh, when we were watching, you said it, it, it kind of like took notes from Psycho. Oh, no, no doubt, yeah. yeah. And any movie after 1960 that is a thriller or psychological right. thing with family members is going to take some notes from Psycho, yeah. no doubt. And, and, and I, I think Baby it. Jane was what? Was Baby Jane 62 or 64? I, I can't remember. It, it's around this time, too, whatever happened to Baby Jane. Mm-hmm. Reminds me a little bit of that, too. Um, I really like it. I think it's one of the better efforts. And I like the fact that Oliver Reed got to work with Terrence Fisher and Freddie Francis, two great British horror directors. And his run through Hammer films, he got to star in a movie with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. So he pretty much... You work with Terrence Fisher, you, uh, Freddie Francis, although Freddie Francis only did a few, mm-hmm. um, and then you get to be with Lee and Cushing, you're like, I'm golden, I can get out of here. Right. I've done my hammer time. And I'd say that this is probably Reed's most like intense performance. Like, out of the especially hammer Especially the, the yeah. Brandy scene. Yeah. Um, when, when he like has his breakdown. Um, I'd say this one's pretty good. What, what, what did we watch last week? Um, Kiss of the Vampire. Kiss of the Vampire. Okay, because I was... Because it seems like every time it's like we get a color one that's like, you know, the Victorian Gothic. That's okay. And then we get a black and white contemporary one. Right. And it's just like, you know, I wonder if this like, trend is going to continue. It's like there's A team and B team. But I feel like these black and white movies are better. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe that we just like the lighting or something. We're maybe not picking up on or... it. But I liked all the black and white ones. I think the yeah. next one may be black and white, too. Maybe The Old Dark House is the next one we're doing. And that's Old a Dark remake House. of the... Uh, um, Oh, the classic one made in the 30s by Whale. Did James Whale do the original? And uh, this one's actually directed by William Castle, which is really weird. I shouldn't even be talking about this until right. next well, week. We'll, see, we'll but, save that one yeah, for next so, week. So. Um, yeah, I love this one, actually. I thought that this one was really good. Um, it, it's Of the contemporary ones we've seen, it's not my favorite one. I mean, it had some it's stiff competition but, with Quatermass 2 and, and The Damned. Those are both damned. great. Yeah. Um, I'd put this one at 7.5 out of 10. I, I would probably agree. Like a Four out of five. That's where I'm a at. Solid four. four. If I had to go on a five point, I'd give it four. But if I'm at the ten point, I'm seven. Ten and a half. point. Yeah. Um, where are we at here? Is it in here? Yeah. It's in okay. Here. Oh my god. It's short. Yeah. Oh I, wow. I read it when... This is the creature features one. Did you want to read it, or do you want me to read it? No, you can go ahead and read it. Paranoiac, 1963, out of five stars. One and a half stars. I can't... He hated this. John Stanley did not like this. Despite Jimmy Sangster's clever plot and sure hand of director Freddie Francis, this hammer mystery is dull, lacking the wallops of good psychological tear film. I'll read who killed his brother, his son when the brother returns alive. Things get tricky after that, so pay attention. Completely spoiled, too. Yeah, completely. It sounds like he might not have paid attention on this one. I don't think he did. He, I think he gave this one a passing. Uh, I don't. I disagree. You know, maybe he did watch it, but he just couldn't register it and hadn't seen it in a while. I really liked it. Maybe it's I'm a, uh, but I mean, maybe I'm an Oliver Reed sucker, but I don't know. I think that Freddie Francis. I know he later explored that whole family dynamic with that movie, um, Mommy, Daddy, Mumsy, or whatever mm. it's called. That was like one of his last movies that he. I, I guess he was proud of it, from my understanding. Hearing it on other podcasts, people talk about it. So I mean, but he did a lot of stuff. Like he did. Um, 
I know he did. Uh, did he do Tales from the Crypt, the uh, Amicus one? But he did the Skull, the Amicus one, and he does the Evil Frankenstein later on, and another, mm -hmm. the one called Nightmare, which is in the same set as this. Is it, is it the same director? Yeah, Freddie oh, Francis. Okay. Like I said, you look him up, you'll you'll have seen a couple of his movies. So yeah. I mean, you know, like what what he says in this, you know, he gives it one and a half star. I mean, he does have a point. Like the Oliver Reed and the Ant know that they killed. Yes, but in the audience, I called that right away, but yeah. it's not. It's actually not, like, right away said. No, it's not right away so, said. And, and you can guess it, but it's fun is guessing it. A lot of the fun was guessing the points here. If you right. just spoil it in the review, yeah, they're going to be disappointed. Right. I, I think I think that, um, you know, because there's that, you know, that tension of, like, do is this the brother or not, like, for, like, the duration of the whole film. And, like, even Oliver Reed and the Ant kind of show it, but they're both kind of psychos, so... Yeah, it's hard to tell who's the killer, who's sane, or who's not sane. Right. So it's, it's fun doing that. I'd, I'd give it a recommend. I really I like it. And the acting's phenomenal. Yeah, it has some of the best acting in there. I would... You know, I, I can't remember where the ones I reviewed previously, like uh, Never Take Stranger Candy from a Stranger or Scream of Fear. There was, like, four I did. Um, I don't know where they fit in, where they would if I was doing them in this whole hammer time, but I think they probably would be around this time, all four of those ones that uh, Mill Creek released. And those are all good, too. So I wish I would actually save those so they right. could see how Hammer's moving along here. But their family, like, kind of thriller ones actually are really good. Maybe it's just that I'm starved for those because I'm haven't. i not Maybe. as used to the tropes as those as the horror movies because uh, the Dracula... And like Frank said, I know exactly what's going to happen all right. the time. But uh, I, I enjoyed almost all of them. This is one of my favorite ones, though. But mm -hmm. I'm also love Oliver Reed, so. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Next week? Oh, I already talked about next week. Old Dark House. No, I mean, we'll see you next week. Oh, we'll see you next week. And today we must also remember Anthony Ashby, who, blinded by grief at the death of his parents, took his own life. What he did was sinful in the eyes of God. God is merciful. He will have taken this little boy into his kingdom, there to join the mother and father that he loved and missed so much. What did you see, Tony? He's come to fetch me. But tell him how he's dead. And he left a note saying, I can't stand it any longer. Please forgive me. They didn't find a body, did they, Miss Ashley? Don't you know, Miss Ashby? He's gone. You frightened him away. You frightened him away. Okay, guys, we're going to hop into the questions. We have uh, Warren and Tia's box. Um, I, I don't know if this was a comment or kind of a question, but Black and Whites to Watch, The Wizard of Oz, Psycho, Laurel Hardy, Flying Deuces, Creature from Black Lagoon 3D, Sherlock Holmes, Hound of Basersville, uh, Rathbone, um, discuss. I, I don't know because we were talking. This was posted on the Damned. I I, I think maybe I, I wasn't saying that I didn't like black and white. I was saying that other people should watch black and white and not um, you know be prejudiced against black and white movies. I thought it was ridiculous. Maybe you thought I said I didn't like black and white movies. That's not the case. I haven't seen all these, but of course I've seen Wizard of Oz, classic, Psycho, classic. I, I don't know how deep I can discuss. This. Creature from Black Lagoon is my favorite Universal horror movie and my favorite Universal monster. So I've seen quite a bit of those, and I do enjoy what I've seen. So. Uh, Andrew DMB, I was as um, as well 
a huge Peckinpah fan, seen all his films. Only thing I haven't seen is the Westerner series he did with Brian Keith. I know Shout Factory put out a DVD. was wondering if you came across it and your thoughts about it. Um, I have not, and it's been on my list to see. I almost bought it a couple times, but I, ha- I, I actually didn't. So I will check that out for sure. I know he wrote a bunch of episodes and directed a bunch. But uh, also, thank you for the kind words that you posted underneath that, though. We have Tim Hayes. Are you going to get the new Arrow Blu-ray of Alice Sweet Alice? Sometimes, you know, I get stuff to review. Hopefully I get it to review. If I don't, I'll buy it and probably review it anyways. Then we have, uh, what's the electric device between you and Jeremy during your Once About a Time in Hollywood and Hammer Horror reviews? Um, that is a Tascam. It records sound separately. I think it's cleaner sound. Um, I really should lower that, but I want to make sure that it picks both of us up because I'm so loud and Jeremy's so quiet. So it's a little in the frame. Nick Mua, you have the Patreon pick segments, which has featured some beautiful gems. Has this format introduced you to new genres of films or uh, movies you thought you would, wouldn't like but ended up loving? Yeah, actually it has. Um, it's definitely opened up my um, horizons. Not that I wouldn't have, but I just probably wouldn't have put those over other movies to watch. And it also you know, leave, makes you leave your comfort zone and think about other things differently. And uh, Dustin, um, my friend Dustin Mills, I always bring him up you know, because he's smart and he tells me smart things and I listen sometimes. Hey. But he said something along the lines of a lot of people who may Make independent horror films don't watch anything else but independent horror films so all their movies seem like carbon copy ripoffs sometimes not everybody of course he's not that's just a broad statement but i agree with that and I, i've seen that happen a million times and and a lot of people don't watch independent horror movies so they don't know what to not look for if they, you've seen mistakes in a lot of those but it, it's the thing is a lot of people don't watch all sorts of movies how are you going to be you know a uh, well-rounded filmmaker if you don't watch all different kinds of films and stuff like that so you know and i've heard uh, ricky bates actually said that on the shockwaves podcast about looking to other art besides movies to help broaden your horizons in making film and i think that's interesting as well so um is there a figure creature from american folklore that you would want to make a movie about there's one that we made up ourselves um i didn't but somebody i knew did when we were kids to scare us called the corn man uh, it was at a campground and, uh, we had these elaborate stories and these comedic stories later on about him, but we were terrified of the corn man. And I love to do a movie about the corn man. I have ideas and everything, but probably will never happen because I want to shoot it at that campground. And I don't know if that campground exists anymore. Um, have you ever bought a really expensive older collector's edition and then found out that arrow or some such company was releasing it at an affordable price with new bonus content? I'm sure I've have, I have so many movies that I haven't even watched and then I'll turn around and rebuy it on Blu-ray in a special edition. So I've done it dozens of times um then we have some answers i asked uh what did i ask last week uh what was your favorite uh defunct blu-ray or dvd company we have ilk vomit defunct label i gotta go with old school anchor bay I refused to let go of any of those discs right when i started to hit my groove as a whore buff was right when they were putting out all the classics also i gotta say elite entertainment that two disc special edition of reanimator is one of my favorite physical media releases of all time yeah I, i'm in the same boat right when i started heavy collecting anchor bay was right there and i remember every month i'd go check their their coming releases and sometimes i'd buy all of them that came out even if i hadn't seen them um yeah but they were always they released a lot of the ones i liked on vhs that i didn't think were gonna get releases when they announced the release of neon maniacs i was like i love this movie i can't believe it's getting a dvd nick mua i quite enjoyed niche flicks they tend to distribute films from all over the world r.i.p so okay and then timothy hayes bci eclipse they had some obscure 70s children's cartoons and live action tv shows on dvd plus they also had a lot of genre stuff Cliff McMillan, Screen Factory, used to work for them until they got out of the DVD business and now distribute computer software. He's got some obscure stuff for Shout slash Screen, but not nearly as much as when he worked for BCI. Yeah, they got a little Spanish movies like Crypt Tear box set, which is really cool. Hope those come to Blu-ray or DVD soon. Ben Miller, too many defunct labels to name one. I really do miss Somerville House. Um, 
Subversive Cinema, No Shame, Millennium Entertainment, and Elite Entertainment. Last one being the only company to release Deadly Spawn on Blue that I know of. Well, Synapse has got it and it's coming. Don't know if Mia Distribution and uh, Phantoma are around anymore. I don't think they are. Um, they aren't dead, but I really miss Shriek Show, Dark Sky, and MGM's output from over a decade ago. As do I. Adrian Bias. Um, Electrocity Shop. I remember they used to release those nice hard boxes. Yeah. Keith Voigt Jr., Barrel. Yeah, Barrel, Necromaniac, Dirtoskin, they were planning on, never did. Uh, yeah, Barrel had a bunch. And they, it was such a shame when they closed because they were planning on releasing Dirtoskin and um, Angst. Um, Salvador Funkenstein. Did some digging into my collection and found some good ones, but I'll okay. He's gonna he posts later as Ben Miller, Pat Lynch, Subversive Cinema. Yeah, they had some crazy stuff. Um, they had the Mark Savage movies, right? Susie uh, Ayla. It was Vestron, but it came back only to disappoint me. LOL. Oh, I hope Vestron's still alive, man. They might have died again. Uh, Mark Humphreys, Original Anchor Bay. I got a lot of my favorite films for the first time from their releases. Joseph Z Zembergian. Sorry. I'm, Sambagian, sorry about the pronunciation, second Anchor Bay. Peter Engelin, a film, a, a film, a Dutch label established in Amsterdam, later on a fusion with Belgium label situated in Artwerp, hence a film. They released mostly art house movies and also European horror. Chris Mayo, Barrel, with an explanation point, oh yeah. Jordan Bibby, Prism Leisure, it was a UK company. I think I do remember that. Uh, Seth Poland, No Shame. No Shame had some good quality titles, Jallos and stuff that no one else was touching. Justin Chanel, as vanilla as a pick as it is, I missed the early 2000s Anchor Bay the most. Granted, now we pretty much have dozens of Anchor Bays all running around at once, but still. Dave uh, Chopin, Barrel. Or Chopin, uh, another Barrel. So uh, Mario uh, Cfax, Tartan by a Mile, a Extreme, Asia Extreme, etc. Uh, Tony Araro, no shame for me. Love Italian cinema, and their output was amazing. Chris Mayo, one seven movies. You know, Mia Communications, no shame in one seven. I think they were owned. Like, they kind of, like, kept coming after each other. I feel like they were owned by the same people at some point. Thomas Galiba, uh, is Shriek Show defunct? If it is, then Shriek Show. I'm not sure if they are. They did release some blues a little bit ago, but I don't know if they're still going to do it. Matt Pocock, uh, Anchor Band Shriek Show. Daniel Lee, Barrel, another Barrel. Uh, Jason Fetters, MGM Midnight Movie Double Features. Those were cool, and you could get two movies for a good price, 10 bucks. Domino D, um, I don't know if they're officially gone or not. I just haven't seen anything from them in a while, but Shriek Show slash Media Blasters is a company I used to love. I discovered so many titles that I wasn't aware of while browsing that old Suncoast store shelves. And then we have some old answers about char favorite character actors that I missed. Uh, Thomas uh, Filio, Dick Miller, John Carradine, love his voice. Who doesn't? Brian James, Stroller Martin, Telly Savalas. Now that's a great list. Uh, Adrian Scott, does Bill, count Bill Paxton count as a character actor? I would say, especially in his early career, probably, yeah. Uh, Nick Anderson, Burgess Meredith, Lance Hendrickson, Clancy Brown. Derek Bourgeois, M. Emmett Walsh, Richard Jenkins, Gary Ullman. Will Carn uh, Carnell. Joe Pesci, Gary Ullman, Carradine. Just Carradine. So all four of them or just John? Alex Powers, Malcolm McDowell, John Hurt, Ralph Fiennes. And then we have Amy Fox Goodwin, Harry Dean Stanton, Charles During, Fred Ward, Tom Ankins, Frank Vincent, John Hurt. And I am sure there are many more. 
There are two sad facts about this. First, I had to Google search for names because I can't picture these actors in my head, but do not know many do not know many of their names. Secondly, upon looking these up, I did not realize how many of these great actors have passed away in the last couple of years. Most never getting their well-deserved recognition for their outstanding acting abilities. Yeah, that's why I always love them, and they never get the credit they deserve. So the question of the week I want to ask you guys this time around is your favorite SOV movie, but I want to know, more importantly, what is the most twisted or transgressive shot on video movie you've ever seen? Is it, you know, something like August Underground? Is it uh, Pinion or Stanzi? What is it? Okay, uh, what is the most twisted and or transgressive SOV movie you've ever seen? Or your favorite, if you don't have that. So I guess we're going to hop into the update. Okay, let's hop into this. First, we got a 4K Ultra HD release. It has the Blu-ray and digital as well. This is Us, Jordan Peele movie. Not watched this yet. Not even watched Get Out, but I bought it. So this had a good price on it. It was like $13, so I decided to grab it. Um, I'm sure it's definitely watchable. I hear mostly good things about it, and uh, the worst I've heard is overrated. So, which means it's good, but, you know, it's just not as good as they said. So, yeah. Look forward to checking that out for sure. want to watch Get Out first, though. So, okay, we have some Hammer Shout Factor releases. We got uh, Brian Don Levy and Quatermass 2. Love this freaking movie. Thought it was awesome. One of my favorite Hammer ones so far in the Hammer uh, time segments. But, yeah, good stuff. Highly recommend this one. Uh, cool sci-fi movie. Scary as hell. Then we have Quatermass in a Pit. Can't wait till I get to watch the third and final of the Quatermass films. I uh, don't know much about this one, except it seems to be the most popular of the bunch. Made way later, which kind of saddens me, because I'm not going to get to see um, Quatermass as the same actor, Brian Donlovey. But hey, why not? I'm going to check this out and be happy to do it. Um, then we have Lust of the Vampire, um, another Hammer horror movie. Not had a chance to watch this uh, yet, so it'll be a first-time watch when we get to it. I know it's in the 70s, so we got some time before we get to this one. Ralph Bates is in here, who plays in Dr. Jekyll's Sister Hyde, so yeah. Then we got The Reptile, which also looks really cool. The dreaded curse of, I'm not going to say that, Orang Senko turned her into a slithering snake. Yeah, this looks fun. Cool stuff. Not seen that one either. This is kind of a sore spot for me coming up. Yeah, it is Dumbo. This is a complete accident to get. Um, I'm part of the Disney kind of club because I got the movies I wanted. And you had to buy five over a year and they send you the one that you had to deny the one that they're offering to you. I, I didn't see the July pick. So they offered me Dumbo. Didn't notice it. Basically had to pay $30 for Dumbo on Blu-ray. They're not even the original. Um, but it does have Danny DeVito. So I guess that's a silver lining in that. So I don't know. You know, this is not something I would buy or not something I'd pick out from the Disney Club. I would have picked something, you know, probably I would just went with Endgame. But hey, now I got Dumbo because I didn't pay attention because I'm a dumb, Dumbo myself. Then we have some here. We have The Heretics. This is uh, from Black Fawn. This is a Blu-ray company. This didn't get released Blu-ray over here, so I imported the Canadian one. This looked pretty unique. It looked like it had some great visual moments in here. So, yeah. Black Fawn. They, I remember releasing some cool stuff back in the day. Guess they're still kicking. Then we got Bed of the Dead. If I was going to import some stuff from Canada, I might as well get a couple because of the price of shipping. So I grabbed this one. Bed of the Dead. Not to be confused with Deathbed. The Bed That Eats. Then we have The Ranger. Yeah, this looks cool. I know it has a DVD release here. Or the, it has a blue too, but not as nice as this. Not a special edition with DVD-Blu-ray combo. This release looks much better. This looks fun. I want to check this one out for a while. I hear good things. So yeah, The Ranger. 
And then we have a DVD that they threw in for free, uh, Bloody Bits, shorts compilation, Blood in the Snow presents yeah, a bunch of shorts from Black Fawn. Not seen this, not heard anything about it. I do like shorts, but if you put too many on a, a disc, it can become tedious. But I guess we're going to go back to the video. Yeah, see you guys later. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching. And as always, you guys have a good one. Eh!